What's the matter now, Kaneda? Ah, damn it! It ain't fair, Tetsuo! Fight with your bare hands! Huh? <laughs> oh, this is funny. <laughs> Feeling frustrated, Kaneda? Now do you understand how it feels being little and helpless? light coming from. there and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio and this is episode 83 and it's been a long time since we've actually physically recorded uh, storms and hellfire and children. More hellfire you, yeah, has just, prevented us from meeting together. You just said hellfire I've missed three your face, times Tom. in a row. I've missed your face. No, yeah, I did not. You said hellfire I said chi- children and hellfire. That's, oh, the same. That's all the same I thing. Get it. I, I don't have kids. I don't even know what that means. Well, you'll um, maybe- Speaking of children. Uh, I, I have a lot of acquaintances who have recently had children, mm-hmm. and I've realized I have a new pet peeve, and that is... <laughs> acquaintances with children? No, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But their newborns get dressed in sports clothing, like of their team, and it really upsets me mm. because of the fact that the kids don't get to choose that sports team. What the fuck are you doing? Who I knows have... that that kid likes the Jets? That's true. And it's this, I just went through this with the World Series um, because um, Linus, for no reason, has decided that he's a Red Sox fan. Like, we were just watching baseball, and he's like, like, I like the Red Sox. He's made that decision, at least. Right. Well, last year, we thought he liked the Yankees, because he was sick one night, and we were watching a Yankees game, and the Yankees hit a bunch of home runs, and he was like, I'm a Yankees fan. Oh, because little kids kids like balls seeing go far. Like, balls seeing go? Seeing balls go far. Wow. Well, I think they just, they look at home, they look at home runs, and they're like, oh, wow, that's, how do you do that? I think I, I seems incongruous. I still see home runs and, like, do a little, like. Nathan, like nutty professor sort of clap. Oh sure, you do like a fist pump, like mm, no, like got a, it. Like it is remember Nathan, that nutty professor? Yeah, Eddie Murphy one. You do do that. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about the beers. <laughs> um, uh, you brought these beers yeah, today. Yeah, this is a this is a classic. Um, yeah, I I went to this brewery once. It's, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I think I did too. And I actually I texted my cousin who lives up in the Hudson Valley. And who definitely exposed me to Keegan Ales, and I feel like I, there was an event or a tap takeover or something that we went to. We got to drink it, and we were just like, oh, I, got, I have a Keegan Ales sticker on my guitar case. You're yeah. like, where did this come from? They've been a part of my life for a while, but I just I can't place exactly what it is. But the Mother's Milk, I feel like, is a staple of the Keegan Ales lineup. And it is, and that is what we are drinking today. Yeah. It is, what kind of beer is this, Tom? It's it is stout. A, it's a, a stout. milk stout. Ah. Um, the mother's milk would make sense. That would be a milk stout. It has all the information. Oh, well, the six pack is right here. Oh, oh, geez, that's exciting. I could read it off. Look the how six conven- pack. convenient that is. It uh, it is a dark and creamy milk stout with hints of oatmeal, chocolate, and of course milk. Oh, of course milk. Of course. Imagine if it's like curdled milk. Um, yeah, but we're entering winter. It's after Thanksgiving. Mm. Our, our tummies are full. It's actually Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Yep. But go fuck yourselves. You don't know that. But now you do. Well, when you said you didn't like brown ales, I was like, oh, I'm not going to get it. I don't mind brown ales. They're brown just ale. hard to find. I had it's hard two. to find I had a good two one. in my hand. Oh, did you? Yeah. Are they, were they local, though? Because a lot of the brown they ales I local, have found. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so now 
we're entering the holiday season. And uh, we're drink some stouts, some porters, and uh, let's start with this one. Dink it. Ah, I've had a lot of stouts and porters since I've last had Mother's Milk, and this is definitely a good introduction, but it does not have the complexity I look for, mm. which makes me sound like such a prick, but whatever. Well, I don't think it's... And it's good. It's good. It's, but it's like a... It's the Pulp Fiction, as to going back a couple weeks ago, of... Um, stouts for me yeah well it's not saying that it's it's an overly complex beer it's just no kind of saying it's palpable and does what it needs to do know, and it's it got tastes all the, good it's got all the proper you know the hints in you know there. what man if it's if it's if there's snow on the ground and i'm outside and around the fire pit how would you do that i don't know maybe you know and you need to drink a couple stouts a lot of stouts you know you don't want that complexity but you want the comfort of a beer this is a good one well, I'm not a big stout guy generally, um, and I find this easy to drink. You know, it doesn't have yeah, that, no. it doesn't have that bitter quality that you know There's you can lot, run into with some stouts. A lot of ashiness to some stouts, I'd say. Mm. Like, uh, not not ashiness like a cigarette ashiness, but like a like a fire pit ashiness, like that ash that kind of like a campfire taste you get in your mouth. Um, yeah. Maybe like a burnt marshmallow, and this doesn't have that. This is this is a lot creamier. It definitely has that milk kind of flavor to it um i wasn't saying necessarily milk but like a lactose subtlety to it that kind of like coats the tongue mm. um but yeah it's good i like it it's not my favorite I've, i've definitely have moved on we're gonna go well i think that was one of the i got it because of the label you know the keegan ales brought back a lot of memories but i also got it because i remember that mother's milk is kind of like a like a, a stereotypical quality stout it's not it's not you know over the moon it's not super interesting but it's good. It's drinkable, and we're gonna. And hey, <laughs> when you're in when you're in the holidays, man, you need something comfortable to get through the season. Am I right? Yeah, that's why I keep a gun. Yeah. So uh, my left hand all the time. <laughs> I don't even know how to I respond. I keep a gun with two bullets in it, Mario, in case I get oh. scared. Oh, you're trying to do a segue. This is what happens when we're off air for a couple of weeks. I, yeah, I don't rhythm, read the nonverbal cues. Yeah, um, so the one movie that we really want to talk about this week, Tom. Is the new Joel and Ethan Cohen flick that debuted this Garfield Three. <laughs> Feline Groovy. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good title. It's from Thirty Rock. Oh, I don't That's my that. favorite episode of Thirty Rock. You ever see that one? I'm sure I I saw that entire show. I it's don't a, uh what see uh, episode. Emmanuel goes to Dinosaur Land and Tracy Morgan. Well, I don't know the show decided, that well. He decides to do Garfield three Feline Groovy instead of um that Oscar bait movie that everyone wants him to do. I think I remember this now. And he yells at that kid playing normal. <laughs> you stole my lasagna. Um, um, but no, not not those, not, not that Cohen. <laughs> the uh, the <laughs> Cohen's minus an H. Um, it is the ballad of Buster Scruggs. People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor. With a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This will tell the tale. It is written and directed by the brothers. Cone. Um, it is a movie western. Yeah, a series of a series parts. of vignettes. 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 
series of vignettes. Series of vinaigrettes. Oh yeah, this yeah, would be good. That's balsamic followed by a little Joel and Ethan rice are vinegar right into that Paul Newman territory now. <laughs> they're gonna stop making movies and make salad dressings. Um, they're not related, which I thought was good. Um, yeah. I kept I kept fearing that in the last you know the last vignette would include a way to like tie all the things together. And it I didn't, mean, which structure. Was awesome. I mean, storyline wise, they're not related. Struct uh, thematically, they're all varying degrees of nihilism. I'd say, but. What and I agree with you I, with the with with the nihilism. I think the nihilism is right. I think a lot of people try a lot of reviewers, and I wish I'm a little more, a little less prepared than I uh, like to be. I feel like a lot of the reviewers um, tried to either stick with the fun, I, the I, edge to the fun, or they went straight to the. This is really really dark. Yeah, most of the reviews I read. Um, more, more just like the articles I read, like the IndieWire articles, focused heavily into the nihilistic side of it. It's like, that's, there's like absurdism and fatalism, I think, sure, more sure. so. Um, Where does that, in this, in an effort to kind of go through these, I, I guess each vignette. I mean, I don't know. We one, necessarily need the. Yeah, I guess we can do it have one to, by Where one. does the nihilism do you think come from? Where in these things is that evident? Because I don't think it's evident in each individual no. one i think it's as a whole collectively um, i mean it's it's, it's, it's a string that kind of yeah. like slowly connects itself and i think that kind of like that final vignette that final um story uh which is basically kind of crossing river charon um the uh what story was that the uh, mortal remains yeah. kind of more heavily kind of deals with like this fatalistic deterministic sort of world like you're on a a course you have no control over it you just gotta ride the wave and i think that's pulled together i mean i think those it, it starts out kind of loose and unfocused in that way like the bow the buster scruggs is kind of silly and absurdist and mm. just kind of accepting what's to come and you know that's what's going to be um when it gets to that second one with steven root and james franco um that that near, near algonis, yeah. uh, you know, it kind of like still remains that absurdism, but like is a little more deterministic. Meal tickets, one hundred percent dark. Like there's not really any humor in that one, mm-hmm. um, and I think has the it elongates itself and it lengthens the stories, especially that uh, the girl who got rattled. Uh-huh. Um, I think by that point, it's really kind of established the tonality. Of the stories. Well, I think it's interesting in the sense that a lot of these people don't. Maybe not a lot of them. It kind of swings back and forth to the characters who seem to be aware of how everything works. You know what I mean? You give your James Franco's, you have your Tim Blake Nelsons and your James Franco's, the, their characters. You know, when shit happens to them, they're just kind of like, oh, all right, you know. Yeah. I can't be the big dog forever. You know. James Franco's cowboy eventually gets hung. He's like, oh, it's not your That's first a pretty time. Girl, yeah. You know, he's he's thinking about other stuff. He's not um, the Liam Neeson thing. The meal ticket one is interesting, I guess, because they both seem to acknowledge what's at was at play here. Yeah, there's you know a. What I mean, like that. It's everything's temporary. The fact that he made it as far as he did, I guess, with norms and legs, is is. You know, no, as evidence of nothing. You know, I mean, it's no guarantee that he's going to keep, you know, his job. Well, the thing I love about that as the meal is, ticket, 
you know, that, that Neeson character is providing for him. But, uh, you know, like, does, does he want the, the entire chain sign time after he gets the uh, prostitute Neeson's character? And he's like, you know, has he ever made love once? And it's just so mm-hmm. passe almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't say that to write it off, but like there's definitely sort of a shrugging quality to that that story and i think that's where it kind of really settles down into um just the absurdity and and the the determinism of it all um when neeson's character drops the rock into the river and he starts walking back and kind of gives him that look and um you know the the actor kind of just stares back and it's just like a very like, milling yeah, yeah. I, I just said the actor because of the character but um the the impresario Mm-hmm. Just kind of has an accept, not the impressor of the artist. Um, just kind of has like an acceptance of it, almost like a, mm. oh, this is terrible, but it was going to come, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. Overall, let's let's talk about opinions of it. Um, not at all, not anywhere close to my favorite Cohen movie. Um, no, me neither. And I wrote down, and of course I didn't bring it with me, but I wrote down when I was watching it. Um, this idea that it's, you know, its existence is, you know, enough proof of, like, aspects of it, like, or the excellence of aspects of it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, the Coen brothers aren't going to make a Western that looks like garbage. No. They're just not going to do it. So there's, you know, that is kind of off the table, like, when you're watching it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, like... It's the Bruno del, Bo- del Bono is going to obviously frame a shot well, and it's the saturation, the color saturation on the films, you know, not maybe not to the level of a brother, but it's definitely Good. sound. Um, All Gold Canyon's gorgeous to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Which is um, to spoil my favorite of the stories. Yeah, that one, that one, and Meal Ticket, I think, were my favorites. Um, um, I'd say the last three were my favorites. The first, I despise Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the the um the first story. Well yeah, There's... I mean we could really talk I mean you could it's setting everything up. It's 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 I don't know. The singing aspect of it seems unnecessary. It's fine. Like I, I get that they wanna lean into like the silliness and like the this is what it is sort of thing. Um but it's tonally weird to me. Like like it's 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 I don't necessarily want to call it a problem with the editing, um, but I feel the storytelling itself is kind of erratic in that story. It it it, it doesn't move at a really well defined pace. There's no building action. It kind of just is runs at a very quick pace throughout, and there's no build to it. Mm-hmm. So there's no climbing action. There's no building action. It kind of just exists. Yeah, and I think that's purposeful. I think that's. I don't think there is any intention to not do that. Uh-huh. It just is annoying to me. I um, actually think it's a Tim Blake Nelson problem in that if they got someone more... I understand what they were going for. They were kind of going for, you know, this very homebody, you know, unassuming Western kind of stereotype, which I think Tim Blake Nelson in a way embodies. But he's not exciting. So when he's dancing on the bar and, you know, he's singing his song, um, he's doing these very slow wide open movements with his arms and legs it's like no you should get you should get a dancer or somebody to do this yeah. you know what i mean you should get somebody who brings who will bring some excitement to the role who will really kind of dig into that aspect of of the part um well the funny thing is is i saw instead of him I, just going through the motions when i saw that and i saw you know david krumholtz that's kind of like this the the guy in the saloon um 
it made me think of, at first I was like, is that Alfred Molina? And then yeah. I was like, is that, wait, is that Oscar Isaac? And I was like, oh no, it's David Krumholtz. And I was, when I was thinking, I was like, oh man, I'd much prefer something like Oscar Isaac in this role. Somebody with like a little more energy. Mm-hmm. Like Tim Blake Nelson has this manic quality to him that I, I think they were going for, but it's just... It's like a sinister goofiness. Yeah, but it's not sin- it's not truly sinister. Like he's, right. he definitely speaks about his his mania and his like psychopathy, but it, it's you don't buy it. You just kind of buy like he's just kind of going through the motions. Right. Um and I I see I read a, several reviews and I can't remember I think I don't I don't care. I don't want to say off name. I want to say like vulture or something like that. Um said he was like emulating like Anton Chigar and it's like no, he no, Who in no was? way. Tim, Tim like, no, that Buster Scruggs' character. And it's like, no, in no way, Why? shape, or form. Um, just like this fun with with evil, fun with uh, this nihilistic sort of well, tread. A, there's not, he's not, I though. Don't he's he's not necessarily like, evil. No, he's, he's not a nihilist. It's the, the universe that he occupies, like, embodies a kind of absurdity. I'd say absurdism. Um, it's an absurd world. Well, no, I think it's it's more of an it, it is absurd, but it's more of a nihilism in the sense that, um, you know, everyone he said you can't be you know he you, know, you can't be top dog forever. Um, it just it is what it is. There's not a lot of there's not a lot you can do about it, and it doesn't really make any difference. Like yeah. he's not sad about it. He's just like all right. Yeah, but I, I, on. I just don't know. I, I I feel like it wasn't the right introduction to that film. Especially yeah. since, um, yeah, next door near Algon, Algod, oh man, Algodons, I guess, um, has that same tone to it. It's a very similar tone, but it's a little more structured of a narrative. And after that, I think everything else follows a really good structure. Yeah. Um, Mortal Remains is, you know, definitely a closed box sort of story, but that's a fine conclusion to wrap everything up. Yeah, I mean, that, but the middle three are definitely contained stories. Yes, and um, I think the thing that stinks about I think, yeah, you mentioned tone before, and I think tone is a really interesting thing because in James Franco's story, the Stephen Root story, there almost is no tone because no. it takes it goes by so fast that James Franco has like a, a couple of lines, he I makes do, a couple love, of faces. I do love pan shot, pan shot. That's <laughs> yeah. Stephen Root can sell like everything he's in, no matter how ridiculous it is. Well, just the idea that he's like, I don't think that pots and pear guy, pots and pans guy, fights quite fair. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody had anything to say about it. But like, why doesn't he fight fair? What does that even mean? Like, is he an idiot? Like, I don't know who. We don't. You know, I usually, I, I usually I, don't like James Franco anymore, but he's the Coens knew how to use his qualities the best that they could. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't think it's his. It's not his fault. It's just too short. Yeah, and no, they I'd weren't agree. doing enough with any of those. The characters first two stories to kind of real are lean into far too short. I'd say. Yeah, everything else is the right length. Um, meal tickets definitely. Well, meal ticket I think is just meal ticket and all Gold Canyon are kind of just perfect little fifteen minute pieces yeah. of film. Um, they're like short. They're like perfect they, they work, short stories. But I think. Absent anything else, um, meal ticket maybe not as much as all Gold Can- Canyon, but absent any other story, they work as a contained. Sh- they do work as a contained short. If they had the Coens had just released two short these shorts as a one off sort of thing, like you know David Lynch just released a short, mm. uh, people wouldn't shrug their shoulders at it. If they had released Ballad of Buster Scruggs or even something like 
gal who got rattled, you'd be like, oh, this feels like it's a part of a bigger story. Um, mm. Those two are really self-contained. And, you know, Meal Ticket isn't doing a lot. It's well, it's extremely well acted. Like, that is yeah. carried totally by the by Neeson and uh, Melling. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's just, that is carried by its acting. But um, I, I don't think there's a lot really to say for me personally about Meal Ticket as a whole. Um, it's just, it's really sound. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I don't... I, I don't have anything to say, but except for the, except for that exact thing. Like I think Harry Melling is is really great, and he, in I, it. I do and he, like he does something he does really well is as they're doing kind of like the montage of him doing the new performances, like just his the opening where mm-hmm. he opens oh, yeah, that yeah. quietly. You could just see the weight. Well, that's and everything like the inevitability of what's coming down the road. It's just you could see it in his the way he's holding his head. And that's why I wonder, It's that's actually a, a good example to kind of segue into something that I really kind of wanted to talk about in the sense that, like, I'm not sure why... I know this is kind of like an amalgamation of a bunch of different Western movie ideas that they had had over the years. Mm. And they just kind of decided to make them together. But why make this movie? Like, I understand... They're going to do everything right. You know what I mean? In that, you know, that... Those scenes, that montage of... of of the actor kind of like just about to go into, you know, his oration. Um, and even every time he's on the stage, it's lit so perfectly. It's framed so perfectly. Everything about it is perfect in the exact way that you expect it to be perfect. I don't go in to a Coen Brothers movie assuming that this stuff isn't going to be perfect. It takes it off the table in terms of like, why do you want to... It's not exercising anything, you know what I mean? It's not to keep themselves fresh. It's just what their movies look like. So what is the point of this movie? That's the thing that bugged me the whole time. Was like, why even bother to make this? I mean, I don't. They don't need the money. I mean, I'm assuming Netflix paid them a ton of money for this. Um, yeah, like they had, they like had a, said they know. had said funding was difficult, and that like Netflix was willing to give them the money to do what they needed to do, just right. to have a and Coen Brothers feature. The fucking cast list is proof that you know. They could get the people that they wanted to get to make this oh, to make absolutely. this movie, but I just don't. I don't get it. I think I don't see what the what the purpose is. I think sometimes you get you have an idea, um, especially when you're as prolific as the Coens are. You've made so many things, but then you have a bunch of small ideas you want to get out. You know that were kind of lingering around. They've they've definitely kind of started leading heavily into the western over the past decade. Um, and they saw, I think they saw as like golden opportunity to get them all out at once on mm. a distributor's dime, who's willing to give them a lot of dimes to do it. Yeah, I'd be wondering. I'd be interested to find out what their next like project is, like how, like what you know, if this was just kind of like a like a holdover thing to just kind of make some stuff and see what happened. Yeah, you know, a true maybe it is more of an experiment than it seems like it is. I do have to say though, the the one big takeaway I take from this is, man, I want to see Tom Waits get like a. Before he's too old, I want to see him get a real good starring role. Now, that yeah, guy—I don't know—a good starring, a good starring, a really strong supporting role. Yeah, because that guy he he carried well, all he, Gold I mean, Canyon so well. Yeah, that was that was great, and he was great in Old Man and the Gun too. In in, in yeah, right. I still haven't seen that one, but I've heard way. I've heard the reviews um, say like he's having like a breakout year, which is interesting to hear. I mean, it's an interesting way to end it. So like, we want to see more Tom Waits. Let's see more Zoe Kazan. Yeah, like get get Zoe Kazan some really good roles to work with. Um, more Brendan Gleeson always. <laughs> more Brendan Gleeson's good. I, I what's his name? The guy that played Brendan Gleeson's partner 
Oh, John um, Joe O'Neill was fucking great. He's so Oof. he's so sinister too, yeah, and was, a character who's who's like supposed to be quite like if they're going to talk if they're going to compare anybody to like an Anton Chigar, like that guy is. I mean, I don't not going to compare anybody to that, but that guy sold just the. He's not so. He's not necessarily. He's not evil at all. He's just so used to this life that he's like, yeah, just I live in death all the time. So the one thing I take from them is that struggle. I love that that entire yeah, that was good. monologue and that kind of like slow time daily. Well, I've always really liked. Well, like she's her. having another. She's having a good year. Well, that's what she had? she's in. Um, that a bread factory. Well, I haven't movie. seen that one yet. No, no one's. It's it's only doing <laughs> time daily has stuff. not even seen it yet. Um, but just like everyone. I think that works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of really sound parts. It has a rough start for me. I was really, I lost a lot of investment in it. I was excited to watch it. Um, I had just got back from the theater from a movie I really love that we're going to be talking about next week, Widows. Uh, <laughs> as a little spoiler and taster there. Um, so I was really riding that high, and, and it started out rough. But I think eventually it really settles down and, and is a solid middle of the road Cohen brothers production. Um, I think it's uh, definitely not on their top 10 for me. No, not on their which top is, 10, but which isn't, which isn't criticizing it too much because no. spoilers, there's a fucking metric shit ton of Cohen brothers movies it's coming up on though, our pivotal because there's list. a lot of, yeah, exactly. We do, we, you know, we're both tackling a lot if, of, if we're doing stuff. pivotal directors, the Coens um, would probably be my number one. So there's a lot of stuff in this, like, like you said, like the middle three, Movies, Mule Ticket, Uncle Canyon, and The Gal Who Got Rattled, I think would be in like a, like high up on a list. Maybe not yeah. in the top ten, maybe not in the top you know five, but they they'd be hovering around because they're excellent pieces of filmmaking. When you combine them, though, <coughs> when you combine them though with um, you know the two beginning ones and then the kind of which the the, the last one's like a nice little fine, but it's gift not, wrap tie. You know, you know, they're not doing anything you know super interesting with it. Um, I don't know. It brings it down a little. It weighs it down a little bit. No, I, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, but it is worth a watch uh, in terms well, yeah. of the Netflix films of the year. Definitely near the top. It, it better than Outlaw King and yeah, the Outlaw was, King was the silliest movie <laughs> I've yeah. seen in a long time. <laughs> um, so this is uh, being recorded after we finished. We saw that our podcast was running a little short, and so we thought, hey. I'll throw one more quick little Netflix review in here, and that is the 2018, unsurprisingly, historical action drama something, something Outlaw King. I'm done with running and I'm sick of hiding. Power is making decisions. And whatever course you are charting, I choose you, my husband. We need to unite Scotland. <laughs> about the uh, 14th century Scottish War of Independence, uh, led by Robert the Bruce, played by Chris Pine, as he fights a war in a film that is edited in some ways to make a movie in some ways that does some things well, in some ways. Well, it got destroyed somewhere, right? And yeah, then so he cut the a bunch initial of stuff reviews coming out of Toronto were bad, like me, like middling, which is like, which is what, what my review which is of this, bad. Yeah, yeah. which is what my review of this movie would be is middling. Um, not bad, not good, just there, but mm. he 
took out like 12 minutes of the movie and or even more so david mckenzie did um known for hell or high water yeah um and it still feels too long at parts it still feels messed up at parts it's, it's a real weird blend of weirdness well nothing happens <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing happens for the yeah. longest time no what happens is like huge set pieces that you know cost like millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, let's like just, where they fire the Greek fire at the one random let's castle. Let's like, from the beginning. That long take. Yeah. That long take is not Why? good. Why like, people, is it there? All the reviews of it have been like, the long take's amazing. It's like, it's like oh, this is the it? best part of the movie. It's like, why isn't it even in the movie? It's not good. It's not entertaining. <laughs> well, here's my thing. You don't even, it's not even so well shot. And I, and I don't mean to criticize you. But, well, whatever, that's what we're going to do. Just for criticizing it, um, you don't even really notice it's a long take. So it doesn't and, really because right, do, it's not the middle doing of it. And you're like, oh, I don't think they've ever. Come oh, away. I didn't. Even, I didn't even notice it until after they fired the uh, the, the Greek fire. Oh, the, I the noticed cannibal. it on their way back out to look at the Greek fire. Um, but I think that's the pro- one of the problems with this movie is that nothing matters serves anything. No, he's just doing it just to do it, and it it, it looks cool on the surface. You know, I mean, it's a well. The production design's really. Was really is pretty nice. Is it? I mean, it, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty this suffers, convincing. You know, man, this I mean? suffers from Netflix film itis. I'm going to call it now, which is where, and this is a problem with like Battle of Buster Scruggs. I think on most of the movies I've seen this year from Netflix that have been major productions, and is that they don't feel like a film I'd see in theaters. Mm. They feel very much like a high production H like uh, HBO production with yeah, yeah, yeah. tens of millions of dollars. It doesn't, there's, there's not a real film quality to it. Yeah. This is, this is weird because I think on the surface it has one, but it doesn't ever feel like it. And is, it though? Is, is that because we're watching it on our television? No. Cause I'd say, I'd say looking at hold the dark, hold the dark feels like something that could have been released in theaters. And it does have like that yeah. somewhat of a theatrical quality to it. Um, Private Lives, which I, I mean, I get, you know, to be fair, that was orig- that was bought. It wasn't a Netflix original production. Yeah, yeah. That feels like a, a film you would see in theaters. That has like a, a Savage's quality to it. But, you know, um, Land of Steady Habits, um, this, a few of the other films that have come out this year that have kind of like missed the mark, uh, just just don't, you know. Apostle feels like a film, too. I mean, Apostle has a couple moments that don't feel like like a cinema film, but most yeah. for the most part, it feels like Apostle is not something I would have seen in theaters. But yes, it looks like something if I had seen it in theaters would have belonged in theaters. Yeah, but a lot of these movies, um, and I think even like Battle of the Buster Scruggs suffers from this, is that I, they don't have a cinematic depth to them. They they do feel mm. very much like a not I don't want to say a TV movie, but a really well produced. Um, premium channel production, which is, which is apt, I think, in some of the staging of some of the battles. I think in this movie, so like they're doing, you have all this money, and you're making this big movie. It's like a historical epic, but the battle stuff is. All like in every, I've read a bunch of reviews that said like oh they're well well choreographed battle scenes, they're all very self-contained. They're and small. Very they're so small right. too. And which I mean I guess maybe doing... you're going for historical accuracy in some of these battles because it was like what a troop of forty thousand people versus like four to ten thousand. So not everyone's at each battle, but but they're they only showing so like li- yeah. yeah. And then we're doing 
We're doing sticks in the ground again? No. Like, we're going to do the sticks in the ground? Like, we, there's nothing else we can do here but sticks in the ground? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's what they happened. They probably did the sticks in the ground, I mean, sure. We don't, we don't know the historical accuracy of it, but... I mean, this is not the first time this movie has been made. Like, I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about, like, the usurping, you know, um, indigenous king trying to get rid of, you know, uh, an overlord or something like that. You know I mean? You saw this is what Braveheart is about. You know, no, a, where there are some sticks in the ground. follow-up to Braveheart. Right. You know, it's... You know... What do we... Why are you make if, if you're just going to rip off all these weird motifs from all these other movies that came before you, like, why bother to make this? And movies that have a much bigger sense of scale. Right. Well, Braveheart seems fucking huge. Yeah. And it's... it's I gotta imagine it's the same amount of guys fighting the same amount of guys. And even, like, something like... I mean, it's, it's not of the time period, but something like... This felt to me a lot of times like Patriot. Um... Yeah, whereas but, Patriot is like a smaller Patriot feels smaller scale than Braveheart, but Patriot still has like a depth to it. Patriot it still has like a lot of right. weight and a lot of like, and I don't know if it's like the sound design, like it's like maybe maybe some of these Netflix films are produced knowing they're going to be seen most likely on a small screen. So maybe there, there's there's a bit maybe. of a difference in the which way would be a bummer, which is not which really be. what you're not. It's not really what we want. If we're if Netflix is going to do this, they should be making. Movies for the cinema, right. and then just releasing them on Netflix. Um, you know, which hopefully, like something like Roma will do. Considering Roma it seems like it is very much intended. To My be. fingers are crossed-ish yeah. thinking about Roma. After seeing the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm I'm not getting my hopes up. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, it seemed like a really awesome thing to have this kind of access to a new Coen Brothers movie, and now I'm just kind of like, okay. Yeah. You know, that's um, two hours of my life that I'm never getting back. But I guess I guess we'll, we'll talk less talk more about the film itself than the the Netflix quality of it. Um, it this definitely shows that I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were more hands off with David McKenzie. It seems like they're definitely more hands off with David McKenzie than they should have been. And that David McKenzie saw the film, saw the reviews for it, and instantly was like, "No, I have to take this back to the editing bay." Right. Um, you know, some of the screenwriters that are on it, like Mark Bomback, hasn't really done anything of quality and there's a lot of hands in the pot and and this does this does not have really a well-contained narrative um well this it just kind of all of a sudden he was you know yeah like he was acquiescing to the king of england and then one thing happened he sees a when, really poor quality severed leg of william was like we're going to war that, man does that not look like a gummy bear leg to me it, it does it doesn't look <laughs> like a real know. human leg was it an arm? Was it an arm? No, I thought it was it an arm or I thought it was an arm. It could have been. I mean, I, don't I didn't remember. know what it I, was. I saw it when two I weeks ago. I was like, it just looks I was so... like, what is that? What? Oh, what is that, oh, they have to put a sign of William Wallace got it. Okay, no. Well, no. then everyone's like, you know, they're trying to keep they're trying to keep Robert the Bruce away, but you're like, what are you doing? Why are you just keep why are you showing uh, you him like all of Robert the Bruce's caretakers is like pushing him out of the out of the way for like a minute? Yeah, like what's ha- like? Where's the perspective here? What are we? What are we pushing him out of the way from? What's happening? It just looks like a bunch of angry people, um, and that's a problem. You know, so that's, many, that's that's it. So many shots don't 
make too much sense. You don't really get the weight or, or, or understand the motivation behind why people are acting this way. Like there's a really sudden shift. You get, you know, Robert the Bruce pledging fealty. You get, you get his marriage to Elizabeth. Yep. You get that little like tension scene where, um, they're trying to get soldiers and Elizabeth kind of like stands up for him uh-huh. to, to build that, that story that goes nowhere. That, that entire romance isn't unearned at all. Well, yeah. Cause she and, spends and, the second half of the movie in a cage. Yeah. Florence Pugh's great, really solid. In she what is she's given the do. Um, especially since she has to have sex with like a 40 year old Chris Pine. That's beyond the point. Uh, <laughs> um, but she isn't given much to do. So that, that, that romance and that final scene of them embracing in the end just doesn't feel earned at all you're like uh, yeah i guess they're married well right. that was funny because at the um she asked the question that i wanted to know which was where was the daughter yeah and it's i was like, like oh she's they're like, oh, actually she's asking like just so we know she's like oh she's here already it's like how where's how, where's marjorie she's well, no, it's, waiting for you it's like it's oh, like okay, how did good. she get yeah that's i can turn too. the movie like, off now i was like how did she how did she get there wasn't she just like with a, a nunnery yeah they just gave her back yeah, there's the nuns were like, yeah, we don't Did want her. kill all the nuns? Oh, that's what a, he was that'd doing be a, for That'd a be a movie. That'd be a good movie. Who, all right, so an interesting thing about this movie, and let's talk a little bit um, about Chris Pine. What are we thinking about Chris Pine here? He's fine. Like, he, are we gonna, so, when are we going to find Chris Pine's movie? Is it just Star Trek? I think I think maybe. I think, I mean, he's good, and I like him in Hell or High Water. But man, he's a guy that's that's charisma. Like a hundred percent, he he's an actor that is like bred by charisma. Right. I mean, I don't know. He he kind of he he seems like a better Dwayne Johnson to me in that he kind of. I think he seems he, like a less good Dwayne really? Johnson you think, in terms of an in terms of an actor. He's more Dwayne. The Rock is. I'm saying The Rock is more charismatic than Chris Pine. Oh no, more charismatic. Or yes. he's but he finds Chris Pine has some range. Right, but Chris Pine seems to find movies that don't need whatever range he may or may not have. Yeah. Like, this movie is not asking him to do anything. It just, to, just to stare it off into the distance. It is interesting that he tries to do more than this movie asks of him. Sometimes, but then they just stop letting him talk. <laughs> which, I think is, which I think is really funny. It is, it is kind of a funny movie in the sense of... Wait, what's the funniest itself? part? What's your, what's your favorite funny part? I have one. Oh, for me, it's just lowering Elizabeth in the cage. And just like, and just like swinging around for a second. Her just kind of sitting there going like, this is me in the cage. Yep. And it's just like Florence Pugh, just don't do anything. Just be in that cage. Yeah. And it's like, why are we staying here? With a here? bucket. Or like, like any time you see Billy Howes, Edward, who's just oh. so fucking hammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was terrible. But he's, he's terrible, but like, is he terrible in the way of like being a bad actor or is he terrible in the way of Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter ascending? <laughs> like where, I mean, I do not at all anyway, like Eddie Redmayne, but yeah. Eddie Redmayne 100% knew what that movie was and was like, I'm going to build I'm doing this. I'm going to talk like this for a while. And then I'm going to say this. No, I don't... Um, because Channing Tatum ripped out my throat. Oh, man, Jupiter Ascending. I don't know. Um, Did you see that movie? Yeah. Oh, that's a movie. Mila Kunis, I'm, a starring role. Now I'm really trying to... Th- I'm trying to picture how what this bad acting is like. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just bad acting. It, she just stinks. And it's funny because he gets to play off of one of my 
favorite actors, like supporting actors in Stephen Delane, who I love and everything he's in. He's yeah. always great. And his, his I hate the Scotland, like shouting it, like while he's just sitting on his, like, you know, in his throne room is terrific. Um, and he's so mean to his son. He's so mean to him. Yeah. And it's great. Um, I mean, I do like, I do, the one time I like Billy Howe's um, Edward is after, you know, he dies. Not Billy Howe, not Edward, but um, the, 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 the king dies and he's just like, bury him here. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, who are you going to ask? Like, that's the one time it like brings it back. He just, like, he died, he heads too far towards the realm of, of spoiled brat. And also, like, I, I, he's I'm not, he's not sadistic talked. at all. So when he's yeah. trying to do, when he's, you know, he's beating up, um, he's beating up Elizabeth and Mar, you know, and Marjorie, and he killed that guy because he wouldn't tell him where the Bruce was. He there's no sadism in his eyes. He doesn't seem like he likes. He doesn't it. He actually doesn't. It. He doesn't even kill the guy. Something like his he seems like indifferent to it. He doesn't even seem sad, like he doesn't seem morally opposed to it either which you can only be two things and you can either be love it or be morally opposed and he's neither you know what my problem is with a lot of the violence in this film too and like a lot of people go like oh there's such extreme violence and like that kind of like builds up um you know the prince of wales is like this villain it's like when Why robert the bruce's brother is killed yeah like especially the one where he gets hung and disemboweled yep. and and like way earlier on william wallace is like does it look like just pieces of raw chicken like, well he's like it looks like a piece of raw chicken yeah. being cut with like <laughs> So, it, it feels like you're watching a Globe Theater production, like where they had the blood bags, you know? It yes. just feels like... Because he stabs him, and then he kind of pulls down on the knife, but the knife doesn't go anywhere, but his guts fall out. Yeah, and then, so like, he's just, and like, like, and like the, the little, bag little skin you see is, like, just, like, raw, like... Yeah. Clearly just a prosthetic, but, like, it doesn't look... I mean, who knows? I don't know what it looks like in real life, but, like, it doesn't have, like, that movie quality realness to it. Well, I think it's one of the... I mean, I mean, it's like about this. this. Everything feels goofy. Right. And I think they're... We're trying to make the brutality, like, that kind of... that The level of violence that this movie has, I think, was an attempt to make it interesting. Um, And it's just not interesting. It's it's silly. Like, all the violence in this movie is goofy. Yeah. This movie's just really goofy. I, I... What's I think people should watch it because it's funny. Well, I find it funny. I get. I've, I'm surprised. I have other reasons people should watch it, but I'm it's mostly because it's funny. That because Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson's jump punch during the final battle scene. Yeah. My funniest part of the movie, and the reason that you should watch it, is um, the competing pep talks at the end. Like Robert the Bruce can hear Edward. Like, oh right, 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 Having a pep talk, and so he gives his own pep talk. It's like, come on, guys. Well, the thing I love, too, is, is you what know, are you doing? we've talked so much about historical accuracy in films, but how it doesn't really matter. But the liberties they take here to actually have Robert the Bruce and, like, the Prince of Wales fight. And then just have Robert the Bruce be like, let him go. Because <laughs> like, he was crying. No, no, he wouldn't. He would 100% take the Prince of Wales hostage. Like, in the real life, the Prince of Wales wasn't even allowed in that battle. If you were, like, the historical records say right. he, was, he didn't even get there. If the Prince of Wales, if you were fighting the Prince of Wales and... Defeated him. Defeated him, and he was surrounded, and he didn't have any other men even close to him. You would take him hostage. And he was surrounded hostage. by your own men. You would have all grabbed a piece and ripped him apart. No, you wouldn't have killed him. You would have taken him hostage and been like, listen, we'll give him up if you give us our independence. Yeah, okay. You that, would have bartered for him, yeah. yeah. You would have been like, let him, he threw up in a really ridiculous, non, 
realistic looking throw up way. Let him crawl away. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Do you it, recommend people watch this? I don't. I do. Doesn't matter. Doesn't I do. Matter. It's hilarious. There's got to be something else for you, you to watch. Uh, yeah, there is. But you, you know what? This is a re, re drink on this podcast, and we do like to drink. Yeah. As of today, uh, November twentieth, you can. If you live in Connecticut or Massachusetts or the New England area, you can, you know, make a little bit of a drive to Northampton and buy yourself some recreational marijuana. Um, oh, there you go. This is a perfect, a really perfect, drunk, high, ridiculous movie. It is Well, yeah, hilarious. because there's, there's so much pointless nudity in it, um, male and female. Um yeah, you people know, people love the fact that uh ex- has as they would say it's always sunny in Philadelphia that that Chris Pine hung dong. He did. He he sure did <laughs> for no reason. No, he's just, he's just getting out of water, and then he's out of the water. And a really awkward sex scene with Florence Pugh, where Florence Pugh can get naked. Yeah, there is. I also there's that stuff. There's the fact that like anytime anyone hits anybody with anything in this movie. Blood just shoots out of their <laughs> yeah. out of their head. It, you know, like a has a show of British power. They destroy a castle. And a scene that had to have cost a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. I, I don't think that... That was that was practical, right? That looked pra- like a practical effect. It looked me. like a practical effect until probably until they... The fireball probably wasn't... Pra- I don't hit know, the man. castle wasn't practical. Netflix is just fucking throwing money. I guess. I think they, I they are 100% a front ma- for, Netflix I, is a front for something, right? <laughs> it's got it's to be. Like, all the Colombian drug... Like, El Chapo is, is not actually in prison. Yeah, that's why he's... Pablo Escobar is actually still alive. They own Netflix. That's why he doesn't seem to care so much about the fact that he got arrested. Yeah. I'm just making... My, my family's all, making money hand over fist here with this. All he keeps asking Netflix is, is, is Nurtu going to agree to that film? <laughs> I mean, I'm imagining, like... Yeah, I yeah. No, let's let's buy the Andy Circus Jungle Book movie, the, sir. There's already been a Jungle Book movie. Buy it. Buy the other. Oh, is that the Mowgli? Yeah. They, is that Mowgli? Is there is that their movie? Mowgli's. Well, it wasn't originally. Warner Bros. sold to him. It comes out next like in two weeks. Oh man. Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch as a, a Shere Khan. Christ. Um, yeah, because Idris Elba's Shere Khan can be improved upon. <laughs> Come on, we have a break. Uh, man, Benedict Cumberbatch already played Khan, so. Did he? He played Khan, not oh, Sheer Khan. Khan, yeah. He also Talk played about Chris Smog Pine. in a terrible movie. Um, yeah, I don't. This is a, this is a weird movie. I don't really give a shit if you see it. I'd say watch it because it's funny, and I like things that don't matter and are goofy. Because I'm an absurd. Only watch it if you've already watched The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Private Life and Private Life. Yeah, and Apostle and Apostle. and even Hold the Dark. I mean, we're talking about the Netflix movies that are like. Good, like okay to good. End of the watch all those movies. End of the year, we should rank even even kindergarten teacher. Well, even kindergarten teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even like kindergarten teacher, but it's a better movie. But at least you have like you have a genuinely you have an opinion, really good a real movie. You have a real movie, right? Which is this is not a real movie. You have a couple of good performances, one really good performance, and a little kid. Some I, some ideas. You yeah. know what I mean? You floating around in there somewhere. Um, there's there's no such thing present in the Outlaw King. And if we're including TV series, watch Maniac, which is a better movie than Ooh. Outlaw King. Aren't you kind of bummed that Maniac isn't like a movie? I consider Maniac to almost be a movie in itself. I love Maniac. Maniac's good. Maniac is really good. Watch Maniac, guys. If you have if you have the choice this weekend between Maniac or Outlaw King, watch Maniac. Yeah. Maybe All I'm right. going to watch Maniac again. All right, we're going to say this again because we said it earlier. 
Uh, we'll be right back with our number 83s. Where were we? My number 83 is the 1995 noir mystery film starring a lot of people, two of which are still highly acclaimed in the Hollywood industry and have not been untouched, burned, or removed from Hollywood at all for their actions outside of their filmmaking. That's true. That is 1995's The Usual Suspects. Usually, when there is a crime, there is a motive. I want to know why 27 men died on that pier for what looks to be $91 million worth of dope that wasn't there. Usually, when there is a lineup, there's only one real suspect. This whole thing was a shakedown. And there's no way they'd lie in five felons in the same room. But this is not the usual crime. This is not the usual motive. He was in the harbor killing many men. Kaiser Sose! He saw Kaiser Sose. And these are not the usual suspects. Starring um, Stephen Baldwin, Gabriel Byrne, Benicio Del Toro, Kevin Pollock, Pete Postlewaith, written by Christopher McQuarrie, directed by somebody and also starring somebody else, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you can um, say Brian Singer's name. He's a terrible person, but we have to <laughs> no, see his name. Directed by Brian Singer, also starring, of course, Kevin Spacey. Um, I saw this movie on video right after it first came out. Mm-hmm. And rewatching it and, and watching it back, I still enjoy it. This movie's definitely carried completely by its last 10, 15 minutes. Um, it's not the best movie. It's really not a great movie. But... Of its time, that that tw- I think I'd say that twist combined with Neil Jordan's like Crying Game what was that two three years earlier, where the first I feel like the Crying Game is so much older than it is. Maybe it's ninety one. Maybe it's it, maybe it is though. It's, it's ni- definitely nineties. Yeah. Um, but those were the first two movies I saw as a nine to ten year old boy. Thanks again, mom, for letting me watch these movies. Um, where I noticed a and Pulp Fiction, but. This more so where I noticed a screenplay and I noticed that the words meant something and I noticed that the story and, and, and the weaves and the turns mm-hmm. meant something. Um, and that was exciting to me. Just just to see, you know, that, that twist, that, 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 that montage at the end where Chaz Palminteri kind of figures everything out, figures out that Kaiser Sose was right in front of him. That was fun. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting now talking back about this. And this is a movie I, I want to talk about too much. It just shows up on my Let's list. Let's talk about it. It just shows up on my list really because of that twist. Is it in retrospect is not a good movie, and yet I think we've all tricked ourselves into thinking it is a good movie just because of that twist yeah. and because of Kevin Spacey's acting. Kevin Spacey's great in it. Um, yeah, I guess I'd say he deserved his. His Oscar. I don't think I Christopher McQuarrie deserved his nomination. Did he win for that, Christopher McQuarrie? I don't know. Um, but it's in he D won he won for uh, original screenplay. Um, and it's weird. It, 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 this is a conversation I like to have about some films in the fact that one scene, above all else, can make a film for people. Okay. Without that twist, this is. 
extremely forgettable, mediocre, mid-90s noir film. It is, uh, what was that fucking Bruce Willis movie? Color of Night. It's a color, it's a better color of night. (laughs) But at least Bruce Willis is in the color of night. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's it's one of those movies. It's it's something that's just run-of-the-mill. But it has this really clever, interesting twist that, that hadn't really been done in mainstream Hollywood before. And man, we just ate it the fuck up, didn't we? Even I did, you know? Even I did, even when I wrote this list. I hadn't seen it in years. Well, nobody saw it coming. No. Like when you were watching it, there was no clues leading you down watching, the path. Yeah, exactly. When we were watching it, do, are there really that many clues? <laughs> there's, not, there's no clues. There's no clues. It's just like, it's a twist, guys. And it's just like, it kind of like nudges you. And I think like even, I mean, another movie that's later on known for its twist, starring Bruce Willis, Sixth Sense, at least there's like stuff in that movie that is a clue to it. Well, everything that happens in the sixth sense. And, and, and I think the better example of this or, or the, the better relation to this movie is something like primal fear. Oh, right. Which where is it's, the same year. It's too, kind right? of the same. And it's the same thing. It's like, Oh, we have misjudged this guy because he seems like such a good actor. Oh man. If it's not the same year, that'd be such a bummer. What that Kevin Spacey would be Edward Norton. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a bummer. I'm going to look this up. Um, I, so here's the thing about the twist, though. And I feel like the Sixth Sense twist was earned. Um, oh, no, 100%. The Crying Game. Next, Primal Fear is the next year. Okay. The Crying Game, which is maybe where this, you know, that came from. The Crying Game twist is is earned, I think, in a way. Um, I haven't oh, seen won, The Crying Game in a long time. He won a Golden Globe, at least. Good Edward job, Edward Norton. Yeah. High five. High five. <laughs> we high-fived each other for you, Edward Norton. <laughs> The twist in a movie's twist only matters if the movie matters up till the point of the twist. So my problem with this movie has always been that I actively hate it. No, I From rewatched the beginning it. of the movie to the end of the movie, and the twist only makes me <laughs> only makes me hate it more. See, this is my thing. I rewatched it. I hadn't watched, like I said, I hadn't watched it in years, and now I, I wonder about spot on my list. But it has to have a spot on my list because. Man, I fucking it, it. It was pivotal in me We've paying this, attention yeah, to this, this stuff. Is why the list exists? Um, in the fact that yeah, I hate this movie until a twist, and that but like even as a kid, I didn't really. I was kind of bored with it as a kid. I remember, and then that twist happens, and I got really excited. And even now, I see that twist, and I kind of get still that like nostalgia excitement. But it's fucking goofy. Well, the I, only thing that's good about that twist is like Chaz Palminteri has a decent looking like oh shit face. Yeah. His oh shit face is pretty good. Well, that's a, we should have gave him an Oscar for an yeah, oh shit face, sure not best supporting actor, just for the goofy ass face he makes. Yeah, instead of doing the best popular movie, they should do best oh shit face. Yeah, um, and best dog widows. The dog from Widows should win that. Yeah, I've been reading all these articles. The, say dogs, the dog the from Widows should win an Oscar. Dog's fucking adorable. Can you give a dog an Oscar? Oh no, you should never give a dog an Oscar. I'm just saying the dog's fucking adorable. Okay. We're gonna talk about this next week, Tom. That dog's a fucking adorable. I hate dogs. So I fucking I just hate that dog from. Star is born. Fuck that dog. Yeah, fuck that dog. Yeah, Bre- Bradley Cooper, come at me, bro. I will. Don't, don't actually. You would beat me up. Why? We wouldn't. I think so. No, we, we got it. We take care of it. No, I'd have. I you'd have to be man one on one. He's gonna bring a guy. No, you, you know he's so? gonna bring a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not fair. Well, you fight the guy. You fight his guy because that guy'd probably be stronger. It's probably Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah. He'll bring. Then he'll bring a chair. That's oh so- no. So He'll yell at the chair. And then, the chair. Um, getting back to whatever I movie we were talking just, about. That's how exciting this movie is. It's funny. We uh, we talk about 
remember all, all the way back to good the Goodfellas list. You know what I mean? And we were talking about how you found the violence in Goodfellas kind of like morally reprehensible. Yeah. Um, and I feel the same. I feel that way about this movie. It's just gross because it's in service of of cool. Yeah, and you it's, know, it's violence that thinks it's really fucking cool. No, I agree. Cool. I agree. Like and people I hate it so people, much. It was definitely writing that coattails of like the Pulp Fiction sort of violence, and the Pulp but, Fiction violence is like earned. It is cool. Yeah, That's it is actually yeah. cool. And it's so stylized that it's not necessarily awful. But man, I gotta, I gotta think that maybe Accidental Tourist is better than Usual Suspects now. Like as a film, it might actually be better. I think it is better. I think you might be right. But just I like the scene that I always which, go back and, to. But which saying I, fuck Brian Singer is less funny than saying fuck Lawrence Kasdan because Lawrence Kasdan is probably a decent guy whereas fuck Brian Singer is like appropriate. Well, Lawrence Kasdan is, is somebody. Yeah. Like he made a bad movie. He made a he made a, a, a misjudged, miscalculated movie with with um, the accidental tours. My problem and with this... somehow got Gina Davis an Oscar. My problem, especially in... This is one of the reasons why this whole... This whole, you know, Time's Up Me Too movement is problematic and it's not from the standpoint of the victims and anything it's more from the standpoint of the accusers is that it's almost impossible now to watch some of this stuff without thinking about how their accusations without trying to see the accusations reflected in the work so so i'm re-watching you know the usual suspects and all i can think about is this disgusting human being filming this disgusting like violence where there's no ramifications for anything. Apparently, you can just blow three people's heads off in a public parking garage, yeah. and nobody says anything. I mean, I think this is where the twist... You, you, you run into a problem with the twist, because all this other stuff, you could say, like, didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, he just made up that guy. He made up, you know, this guy. He made up this other guy. He made up this situation to kind of put this made-up guy in. Um did they actually just annihilate those guys? Did they just fucking wipe out a bunch of people on a boat and nobody heard anything the whole time? There yeah. was no silencers. It was just a bunch of semi-automatic weapons and bombs. And nobody came to say, nobody came no, to say anything? No, it's ridiculous. It's all fucking ridiculous. And, like, it's good to have these movies on our list. And this is luckily one of the last films, I think, on either of our lists where the person who put it on their list is like, oh man, in retrospect, that was so stupid. And it's good to have these films. It's good to have these movies that, you know, as a kid you loved, you know, and, and like not the Mac and Me's nostalgia glasses. Like, you know, you go back to Fern Gully and you're like, oh, Fern Gully is not that good of a movie. I'm out. I don't know. Actually, I don't, I don't remember Fern Gully. I didn't even think I liked Fern Gully as a kid. Um, you know, those movies as a kid you liked and you watch it and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? Uh, the one for me was that, what was that one starring the Australian guy, Phoebe Cates? He was a mysterious. He was like a like a imaginary friend, uh, Freddie something. Oh, um. Oh man. But that movie. Yeah. What the fuck is the name of that movie? People on people on Twitter <laughs> t- 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 tell us what that movie was. The I mean I can look it up, but I'm not gonna look it up right now. It is. Um... But but that movie yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that movie I rewatched. I know it's something Freddie. Uh, Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead. Yes. Fred. Why did we come up with that? Seems weird. Yeah. But uh, Drop Dead Fred, I rewatched. I was like, oh, this movie's awful. But it's still like, okay. It's like that. This isn't like the stuff. Like, it's nice to have those movies that you hold in esteem for nostalgia and like rewatch and like, it's awful. But it's interesting because this movie's still really critically. I mean, maybe not some, maybe not going forward. But, you know, 
It did win the Oscar for Spacey. It did win the Oscar for McQuarrie. I mean, McQuarrie's gone on to be a really solid writer-director, I think. Yeah. I mean, the last two Mission, Mission Impossible films yeah. have been a lot of fun. I liked Way of the Gun. Um, the first Jack Reacher was entertaining, mm-hmm. especially when you got uh, <laughs> Werner Herzig as the main villain. Well, that's, so good that's always a coup villain. when you get Werner Herzig. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad like it gave him a career because like he's gone on to do some really great stuff with action. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's time we let this movie go. This movie's been surpassed in terms of the, the really solid, surprising twist. It's been surpassed as a, a quasi-heist film gone wrong. There's better quasi-heist film gone wrong films, such as Widows. Um, <laughs> or even Heist or The heist Score. Of, oh, Heist. Uh, I love Heist. Good Good old uh, David Mamet. Well, but here's the thing. Um, like, but coming like, right off nothing the... about this movie matters anymore. And coming right off the back of this movie. Except David Gabriel Byrne. This gave us... Gabriel Byrne this, this, kind of, this, this was like a big turning point for Gabriel Byrne, right? He wasn't big before this, I think. I don't know. It exposed more people to Gabriel Byrne, which is always a good thing. <laughs> um, end of Days put it over the edge. Think, end of Days... <laughs> he was great in End of Days. I think coming, off, coming right after this, though, you have a better noir in... LA Confidential. Yeah, two years. That's you have two years later. Four years later, you, after this, you have a better twist. You have noir. one year. One year later, you have a better. Just no, no, but like even Final Fear is kind of a noir. It in is, a sense, but but uh, I mean, in in terms of like the stuff that came, the movies that Pulp Fiction and The Usual Suspects gave birth to. Yeah, five like, years five years you later, you have Memento. Yeah, and that's both of those movies are. And I don't really like I don't really like either of those movies. I'm not I'm, you know, but, noir is not my thing. But those movies are way better than this movie. And those movies, the twists and and the drama in those movies is earned. Where in this, it's all just kind of like, listen, I'm gonna sh- I'm, we're gonna shoot tons of people, and then there's gonna be a coffee it. cup. Aren't you, I tell aren't you everything? Aren't you worried that people um, will be shot? And the thing too is, is a lot of people say, you know, you got to respect your forebearers i don't think usual suspects in a world where usual suspects doesn't exist i still think you get memento i still think you get our, our films you know you still get a very similar story yeah, yeah, yeah. usual suspects i don't think did really anything momentous for film what was that i for because you said momentous and i thought you were going to make a memento pun oh oh i didn't think of that one i was waiting for the memento pun um but yeah it's not worth a watch, but it's always interesting. It's always good to, to look at those movies that really shaped you, how you looked at yeah. film. That, that, and then the movies that shaped, you know, the movies that you're yeah, not yeah. sure of in your past. And maybe rewatch it and see where you are now. It's my 83 now, and if it was on my top 100 list, it would be nowhere the fuck near my top, probably wouldn't even be my top 1,000. Oh, in terms of just like... That wouldn't even probably be my top 10 Stephen Baldwin films. Do you know top... 10 Stephen Baldwin films off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head, but Biodome would be up there. Oh, yeah. But, c- come on, man. Yeah, of course. Biodome. Yeah, fuck. We'll be right back with uh, Tom's 83. Which is Biodome. <laughs> Welcome back. My number 83 is the 1998 animated feature. Akira. Akira! Akira! Tetsuo! Did you just do a mic drop? Yeah, I hope, did. I hope we're not appropriating culture with those. I mean, we're just saying like the lines. That's the how they say it. it. Yeah. That's the- 
Even in, <laughs> oh, the, even in the English dub, which I watched. Canada! I actually watched the Japanese version and the English dub just to see what the English dub was like. The English dub's not... No, the English it's not, it's not, not awful. Like, yeah. It's not like a really badly done English it's dub. It's the 80s. That's what movies are going to sound like in the 80s. Yeah. Especially movies like that. Um, it is written and directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Do you it ever see is... Steam Boy, by the way? Just yes. Steam Boy is good. Okay. Steam Boy is good. Um, that's part of where we're going here. Okay, good. Um, it is adapted from his graphic novels um, and his serialized comic book, um, which he manga. put out through the yeah manga. Thank you, Mario, for the terms. Um, I need Mario for my not hentai. I need Mario for, <laughs> for the terms. That would be Aza Akira. Um, from in the beginning of the eighties um, through the middle of the eighties, and then was compiled in these graphic novels, which got really popular, and you know. And he, and he turned it into this movie, which is a you know a highly synthesized version of of the books. Um, I you know I don't know how deep we want to go into the story here. I, depending on which version of the story, it's endlessly deep. Um, there was a nuclear war style um, event that happened in in Japan um, in the future. Uh, I think it's twenty. 30 or 2018 2019 2019 there you go um again i'm ill prepared with my dates um which was brought on by this boy named akira having a good old psychic power got out of control and he exploded tokyo when the movie when the movie picks up we are in neo tokyo which has been rebuilt um Motorcycle gangs are a thing. There's some tension over government budgets about how much is being spent on the Akira project. Um, man, one about, thing leads to that's... another, and it's the city is leveled again, and there's another, you know, nuclear style event. And for all my problems with this movie, talk about a movie that so well does like the minutia of bureaucratic issues at times. Well, the it comic book goes even does like, it really? deeper in that stuff. Yeah, I never read the the manga, but uh, it does it does it extremely well. I'm like, oh, for for touching on it briefly, like as a bureaucrat myself, I'm like, this this makes sense. <laughs> I think that is a perfect segue to talk about why this movie is on my list. I went through a period where this was my whole life. You were you were like a weeaboo, or I was. Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, one of the end of I forget which anniversary it was of Akira. Came out, and in a in a tin box, you know, like a black tin box with the Akira logo on the front with a hinge, and um, I, I'm a big sucker for packaging, so I bought it, and then me and my buddies. At this house we used to hang out at, we watched it, and we drank bush lights, and we just couldn't believe what was happening in front of us. Um, right after that, I went. I was working at a bookstore at the time, and we had the uh, we had the graphic novels collected. Um, we had a, we had. I feel like we had like one through three, and I bought them and I sucked them up, and then I actively remember. Not working one day, you know, going to seek out, I think the fourth one, not working one day, and then driving to a Barnes and Nobles 
in the middle, like minutes before it closed, to get the fifth book. I just couldn't wait to get deeper into this into this world. That's it. That's the one. That's the one, Mario. Um, and from there, that's the twentieth edition. So there you go. Um, from there, I just I couldn't keep my hands off of graphic novels, and not just like any graphic novel, the expansive world graphic novels. So we're talking about Miyazaki's Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. We're talking about Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I was hunting down um, Otomo's Domu um, graphic novel for just, I still haven't ever found one. I know I could go online and probably buy one for whatever, but that's not fun. And back when I was, you know, really heavy into this stuff, you know, you couldn't just go on Amazon and buy anything you wanted. Um, and all these years later, I'm still heavily, heavily, heavily invested in this universe whenever I, whenever I get into it. Um, the grandeur of this animated movie is really, I don't know how you feel about it. I'd be interested to hear how you feel about it. But like the, the expanse of the world that they put on film is, I've always found amazing. Uh, the thing um, I always find interesting is that it is an expansive world, but I always appreciate, and this is something that like looking at a trailer for something like Detective Pikachu yeah. kind of does, is it feels lived in, so you see a slice of it. Yes. Um, it, it is a world that exists that feels lived in. It doesn't feel like a small box. Um, it doesn't, f- it, you, it feels like there's things you're not seeing that exists and, and I do appreciate that. It is, I mean, th- there's a reason why Neo Tokyo and like Neo LA from Blade Runner. And those are, you know, the, the definitive sort of cyberpunk worlds when there's a, you know, a mass cyberpunk worlds. I th- well that, and um, you know, like mega city one from the dread mm. comic series um, because they feel so expansive, but they present a small sliver, but they so go in depth into that sliver that it, it feels real. Right, and that's—I mean—I think it's one of the things that is fascinating about this movie is that not a lot of time passes. No, when you're in it. Yeah. Um, but all of this stuff, you're right, just feels like it's been building and building and building over the course of the, you know, the the world that you haven't been exposed to, like, but ha- is happening at the moment, like the screen kicks on, and you know, you find yourself kind of, you know, driving down the streets of Neo Tokyo on a bike, kicking the shit out of some clowns. Or you know, in the middle of a crowd, while while some guy is it's dragging heavy, like a shriveled, you know, psychic baby through the streets of Neo Tokyo, um, you know, I don't know. It's just it, it um, never ceases to never ceases to amaze me. Never ceases to inspire me. Never ceases to draw me back into some of the worlds where that you would I would go afterwards. Um, whether it's the Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, whether it's getting deeper into some of the Star Wars things, Mario shaking his head. No, it's, um, I, I was looking up some. I was looking up Akira, <laughs> and something else popped up, and I was like, "Yeah, that um, makes sense." I like it, whether or not it, it turned into Harry Potter. Like right after that, you know, I would start. I got really big into the Harry Potter thing. The uh, the i the comfort is... I feel spending time in in a fully realized universe um, literally starts with this movie. This is a movie that. I, I'm not the biggest fan of it in the sense of I don't 
like the general conceit and story of it. I don't well, find crazy. it particular. It's crazy, but it's just it's kind of boring to me. Like I find I don't find the character. I don't, I'm not invested in the characters. I'm not invested in in, in that that story. That kind of like second break with Tetsuya, um, and that kind of like building, feeling out of place in society, but having this immense power. I don't care, but. I, I 100% agree that the world that's created around them inspires you. And it, it's, it does spark that, that creative energy almost right. to want to see other worlds um, that are, has fully realized or to, you know, like make you pursue your creation of your own world. Well, you know? not even in, beyond that. Like, and the other thing that I really wanted to relate this to is um, some of the philosophical leanings that I've kind of developed post Akira, not because of Akira, but that align themselves to my feelings about uh, Akira, um, which is one of the things that they mentioned though in Akira is, you know, the power that these kids have, that Tetsuo has, that Akira has, um, uh, that the other children have, um, is not so much, it's not a mutant power. It's not a psychic power. It is like the force in a way Mm -hmm. where they have access to not just, you know, the power in their limbs or whatever, but to all the power coursing through time, which is fucking, (laughs) which is fucking crazy. Um, And that because of that, they have access to, you know, each speck of dust that existed through time carries its own memories, and they, because of you know whatever circumstances, um, they have access to it. That we can all have access to it, and that kind of it speaks to my love of, you know, Plato's idea of the forms. You know what I mean? That there is a there is a a true thing beyond our ability to understand it, but that given certain circumstances, that we could we could truly see what lies beyond, you know, the phenomenal realm that we, that we inhabit. Um, like cosmic horrors. Yeah. Cosmic horrors. We're going full reveal here. Revival <laughs> here. Um, and that shit's, that shit's interesting to me. And this, it's interesting to find that in, it was interesting to find that in an animated movie because when I grew up, animated movies didn't do that stuff per se. Um, and it's 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 gone into you know times a million in the six volumes of the graphic novel. And the thing that's interesting too about this is is one thing this does um, from an animation standpoint. I'm not entirely impressed in terms of movement. Um, it's it's a little stiff, but in terms of for its time, looking at films around it, I, I think my neighbor Todoro kind of explores this a couple years or around the same time, maybe a year, a year later. Is that 88? I can't remember if it's 88 or 9. There's a real acceptance of scale that you can do with animation and the fact that you're not beholden to the world as we see. I think a lot of animation beforehand, especially in America at least, um, you know, you had the, the, wicked, the, the Wicked Witch kind of transforming into a dragon and whatnot, but it's still tied to our world. This movie doesn't give a shit about that. This movie 100% accepts the fact that because it's an animated form, it can do the scale and, and these concepts beyond understanding right. that wasn't they couldn't do in film back then. Um, and some films, I think, kind of do that 
maybe like something like the thing um or even something like the blob almost to an extent uh kind of do things where it's like where there's there's this other worldliness to it or this 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 um this idea of forms outside of understanding um but the thing i do find interesting about this is there is such a, a lack of care about the world as re as human beings know it, the, you know, and more uh, uh, <coughs> what I'm going to do to tell my story and what I'm going to do to tell the scale of that story mm. is interesting. There's there's a a real inventiveness to it that you hadn't seen before, mm-hmm. and that I think was really an inspiration to the people of the time. Um, like, look at compare something even like. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was an inspiration for him, but I, I think you do see a, a definite jump up in worlds a, after this. Um, you know, compare the Batman yeah, of nineteen eighty eight to the Batman Returns of ninety one. There is there is a definite leap in scale. There's a definite leap in in the fact that a world doesn't need to look like we see it. That you can do something insane almost to, well, to our understanding yeah the batman thing is an interesting comparison because one of the things when i was rereading the, the graphic novels again to have this conversation was um noticing how the linearness of neo tokyo as laid out in the graphic novels and thus the movie is very reminiscent of christopher nolan's gotham city where um it's it's very geomet- well, it's very nolan's, geometric nolan's very like all about some of the manga. I don't know if I don't know if he's particularly inspired by. Akira. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a, I, Arnofsky and and him are both heavily influenced by a lot of the Arnofsky's, animation. I haven't seen. I would have to go back and look at it now that I'm thinking. I can't about remember. It, but like, the, the, there's he, so much, so much of of Gotham City and those two Batman Begins, but specifically the Dark Knight, is reminiscent of Neo Tokyo. Um, you know, like I said, just like the, the 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 geometry of the cities, the geometry of the buildings, the way the skyline looks, how you know um, vehicles look passing through it, like how everything has this really intense um, center perspective, uh, which is something that you know Otomo did. Uh, I don't I don't know enough about art to comment on like how well he did it, but his being able to do that well makes the world seem that much bigger because it makes the streets seem like they go on forever, not they're just as far as you can see them. The street ends as in, you know as far as your eye can tell you that the street is there. And I found that really fascinating. It's one of those things that, you know, as you watch other stuff, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if they're directly, real, you know, well, inspired I mean, was, by the other one, but there was there's, that rumor, there's hints there. There was there's that rumor there. a few years ago that Nolan wanted to do an Akira trilogy, so definitely he's he's been touched in some way by Akira. That would be awesome. To want to do, I don't know if I want to see a live action Akira. Why don't you want to see a live action Akira? I mean, it can work. I guess you know it could, I guess Nolan do, could make. You it want work to do a live action Akira because you want to put in a lot of the stuff that Otomo took out. Yeah, that's true. When he especially made, since he wants to do a, the, yeah, especially since he wants to do a trilogy, right? With it. Um, but no, you just see the inspiration. Uh, I don't know. Overall, as a film, how do you feel about it? I like it, but I'm. It's one of those things where I'm still under its spell. The yeah. spell has never been broken for me in terms of um, even when it gets slow, even when like there's too much action, there's too much flying cart stuff, and you know people are getting shot 
like all over the place. You're just like, okay, move on with the move on with the story. Um, I I still find it impactful, and I find the changes to the between the graphic novel and the movie really interesting um, as well. And I think Tetsuo is a really like a really compelling character once he like finally realizes power. Because I think you're right. I think when they're just the biker gang, I don't really care about them very yeah. much. Um, it takes a and it takes a while for it to get there too. Is the problem with me? Right. It takes a good hour and ten minutes to get there. Um, the last no, I, I'd say the last forty minutes are exceptional, um, especially with that ending with Tetsuya kind of creating his own universe and becoming God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. Um, but I yeah, the story doesn't speak to me. But it's one of those films I intellectually appreciate. Uh, I'm not so much under its spell because I think I came to this movie way later than most people did. Um, and so I've seen the worlds that have been inspired by it so I can appreciate it. Unlike, yeah. you know, unlike the movie we just talked about where, you know, we won't say usual suspects inspired anything. This movie 100% has an importance in how fundamental world building is and how fundamental it is to, create a sliver of a world so that you do become invested in the story. Cause it is it, like you said, it's, it's kind of a dull story in the beginning, but because the world is so intriguing and well, because it, the world is so you want to see more of that world, no matter how like little of that world you see, it keeps you invested until things ramp up until well, that's, you get that really true building action. And it's very dated in regards to like the misogyny. Um, is is very I'm assuming things have changed in Japan since 1988 or you know since the 80s um but it is very it leans into the you know hyper masculine yeah. world that we seem to create women, for ourselves women in the 80s women just getting hit in the head with bats yeah um you know and kind of being treated like slaves and, and yeah you know um but yeah Akira Mario Akira I shouldn't do the voice. Akira. <laughs> it's more acceptable if I just say Akira. Akira. Yeah. There it is. All right. Yeah. It's our episode 83. We're getting back on track here. Yeah, we are. I mean, it was a little rough because it's been a couple of weeks, but you know, give us another week and we're going to be fucking rock solid motherfuckers. Yeah. We yeah. will be rock solid motherfuckers. Yeah. Was it, Did I say, I wonder if I said, did I say rock solid comma motherfuckers? I say we were going to be. It works on both levels. It does. It does. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, you can follow us at uh, Twitter.com/slash/filmpivotal. Uh, you can also look at our very outdated Instagram because I keep forgetting to update it. At Instagram. I keep forgetting we have an Instagram. Pivotal film. Yeah, I barely have an Instagram. I barely use it. Uh, whatever. Um, email at. This is where you take. Pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or go to PivotalFilm.com to see a list of the movies that are on our lists and the beers we drank and how to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and um, other things. Crazy fucking podcast apps that are out there. Crazy. So many. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, Until then, go see a movie, drink a beer, and talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.